All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I read this somewhere the other day, and, and uh, my wife was kind enough to jot it down for me. It says, if you think you are smarter than the previous generation 50 years ago, the owner's uh, manual of a car showed you back then how to adjust the valves. How many of you are old enough to remember when you could adjust the valves on a car? Yeah. Today, it warns you not to drink the contents of the battery. <laughs> so we're definitely a lot smarter than we used to be. I'm sure. <laughs> All right. I want to talk to you this morning uh, on the last of the shun words, and that's the word glorification. Glorification. And if you have a Mormon background, maybe you uh, begin to think, well, may, you know, is this, is this what Mormonism calls exaltation? And no, it's not. In fact, by the way, biblically, Biblically, uh, we, we don't look forward to becoming gods, okay? Uh, but we do look forward to getting glorified bodies and being perfected and spending our eternity worshiping God. And so uh, exaltation, that idea is something, something a lot different, the idea of becoming a god. But uh, the Bible does teach glorification. And for that, let's look at Romans chapter 8 and start out in verse 28. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. The Bible says, and we know thing, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did, and now watch this next phrase, predestinate to be, to be conformed to the image of his Son. So people say, well, you know, do you believe in predestination? Yes, once you get saved, you are predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. And that would involve glorification, folks. Uh, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The Bible says, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and I want you to watch this next phrase very carefully. He said, and whom he justified, them he also, what? Glorified. And God sees it is already having taken place. It's something that's already been done. Now, you know, if you're like me, you know you don't have your glorified body yet. There's, there's plenty of proof to that effect. But as far as God's concerned, it's, it's a done deal. In his mind, he sees it as done. Remember, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. Uh, Jesus is over here before time ever started, and he predates time, and then he's over here at the other end of things, and he's beyond when time ends. How many of you remember that phrase in the book of Revelation where the Bible says, and time shall be no more? Yeah. So, so he sees it as an accomplished fact. 
How many of you here this morning, you know Christ is your personal Savior? Let me see your hand, all right? All right, what God is saying about you today then is that he already sees you in your glorified body. He already knows it's going to happen, and in his mind, it's an accomplished fact. Uh, folks, that is a certainty that cannot be beat. So I want us to take our Bibles then and go to one other place here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to spend some time on the subject of the resurrection this morning because the resurrection, the resurrection is connected to this idea of glorification. Uh, they, in fact, the two subjects are inseparable. They are inseparable. In this particular chapter, Paul has a lot to say about the resurrection. In fact, that's the principal subject in this 58-verse chapter. He says in verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. By the way, the reason Paul said that in verse 2, he said, I don't want you to believe in vain by believing the wrong thing. You'll never believe the gospel in vain. But there were those that were perverting the gospel. They were adding to it. They were subtracting from it. So Paul gives them a reminder of what the gospel is. And he says in verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and then he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. So Paul emphasizes proof of the resurrection. Why? Because the resurrection is so important. And because there were those in Corinth that were denying that we would be resurrected. And Paul makes a connection. He said, look, if we're not going to be resurrected, then that means Christ wasn't resurrected because these two resurrections are connected inseparably and then he goes on to say some other interesting things that we'll talk about. But the bottom line is this. The bottom line is this, folks, is that we celebrate an empty tomb. In 1922, a man named Howard Carter made what was, was arguably one of the most uh, profound archaeological discoveries. He discovered the ancient tomb of the pharaoh whom we commonly call King Tut. Uh, his real name was Tutankhamun. And that's why he shortened it to Tut. <laughs> and it was significant because unlike other tombs that had been emptied by grave robbers, this one had the body of King Tut himself and it was full of priceless artifacts. Remember, uh, they thought the pharaohs were gods. They thought the pharaohs 
were, were going into the next life and they gave them all kinds of things to take into the next life. That's what those pyramids were about. They were literally the tombs of the pharaohs. It took eight years to remove and document the contents of the tomb. Literally millions of people came to see the body of King Tut. Many of them sat, stood in line for hours. And what was happening is the world was celebrating a full tomb. You know what we as Christians celebrate? We celebrate an empty tomb because Jesus is risen from the dead. And, and notice what Paul goes on to say. He says in verse 12, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. See, he's making that inseparable connection between the two, Christ's resurrection and ours. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also in vain. How important is it? How important? You know, a lot of times as a preacher, you, you wrestle with what to preach and, and what's important and, and what's needed and, and, and what, does, what does God want me to preach? And, you know, some subjects are more important than others. But Paul says right here, if you look at verse 14, this subject is so important that if it is not a fact, we shouldn't even bother with what we've been doing this morning. I mean, the singing, the giving, the fellowship, the preaching. Paul says our preaching is vain if we don't raise from the dead. Because it means Christ didn't raise from the dead. And then he says in verse 15, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Uh, folks, I, I just had the thought, you know, we probably should talk about the resurrection uh, more than once a year. We should probably talk about it more than once a year so we can supplant the Easter bunny. Maybe we should talk about it every day. You know, when you read, the book of, you read the book of Acts, over and over and over again, the apostles' preaching gravitated over to the resurrection. They just continually harped and beat on that one point. Why? Well, it's obvious by our text. He says in verse 16, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. And, and, and watch this. And ye are yet in your what? He's basically saying you can believe on Christ all you want, but if he didn't raise from the dead, you're still in your sins. And then now he, he breaks it on a real practical, you know, here and now basis. He says, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. So, I mean, 1 Thessalonians 4 is out the window. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. There's no words to comfort yourself with or others with concerning the passing of a loved one in Christ. And then he says, 
He says in verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So forget the fruit of the Spirit, forget the abundant life. But, he, but, but here's the good news, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So let's talk a little bit about this business of glorification. And we're going to stay here in the same chapter. We don't have to run around too much because plenty is said here. But glorification, the glorified resurrection body, is part and parcel with the fact of our resurrection. And let's start in verse 31 in this same chapter and talk about the nature of the resurrection body. And let me say this right off the bat. Okay, let me say this right off the bat. Even Christians, the world has goofy ideas about heaven and hell. Do you ever witness to somebody and they say, yeah, I'm going to hell and I'm going to just party with my friends. How many of you ever heard that one? You know how I know that's not true? I don't have to know what hell is like, firsthand experience, go there and come back and say, oh, no, that won't happen. I know this, where people are mutually hopeless, they don't party together, okay? They don't party together. And, 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 and never mind all the suffering and everything else that's going to go on in hell, the hopelessness enough that people aren't going to party together. That's not going to happen. People have crazy ideas about hell. Oh, I want to be with all my friends in hell. Uh, and then heaven. Oh, I don't want to go to heaven. It's going to be a, a boring place. You sit on a cloud in a, in a white gown strumming on a harp. Now, I'm going to say this. If that's all heaven was, it still beats going to hell. <laughs> okay? I'd take sitting on a cloud strumming on a harp over dancing on hot coals and screaming because I'm suffering. I'll take that any day of the week. But heaven is so much more, folks. Heaven is so much more. And people have all kinds of crazy ideas. I, I, I heard a, a Christian tell me this one time, and I'm not, I'm not critical because, you know, if you, don't, if you don't really know what the Bible says, you, you might come to conclusions like this. But he said to me, I, I just think we're just going to get sucked up into one cosmic consciousness, you know, and lose our identity and because our identity is our problem and all this other stuff. And the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, and we won't take the time to go there for the sake of time, but Paul makes it very clear, we will have our identity. Folks, are we not all sons and daughters of Adam's race? Don't we all look different? Aren't we all individual? Don't we all have different personalities? Don't we all come in different sizes and shapes? <laughs> right? I don't think it's any different in heaven. Folks, the Bible says God's going to pass out rewards in heaven. If, if we don't have our identity, then how do we get a reward? How would that work? Folks, we will have our identity, and, and, and you you mark my word on this. Another idea is kind of like, you know, you, you get into this, you get sucked into the oneness of the whole thing, and then you're not yourself anymore, and, and really how conscious will you be? You will be more conscious and aware than you've ever been in this life. 
you will be more aware and conscious than you ever were in this life. Do you ever look at a little baby and they're goo-goo and gaga and look in their eyes and think, what are you thinking? I always say to the little kids that are in mom and dad's arms coming by, I always say, hey, kids, you got a maid and you don't know it. <laughs> but you know what? We will be more aware than ever. And Paul goes into this business of, of, of being glorified in this chapter. Let's start in verse 31. Let's start in verse 31. He says this. He says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. He says, look, I, I, you're, re, you're rejoicing in this heresy here, and, and I'm protesting, and, and here's why I'm protesting against your rejoicing. He says, verse 32, if after the manner of man I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul is basically saying, why have I given up and sacrificed for the sake of Christ if there is no resurrection? Let's just all be Epicureans. And that's the philosophy of Epicureans. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. They will often say, then when you are dead, you are dead like a dog. You're just there. That's a denial of the resurrection. That's a denial of the afterlife. He says, verse 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God, uh, but I speak this to your shame. By the way, I think even if we believe the resurrection, to make the error of emphasizing it only once a year, I believe it dulls our witnessing zeal. We need to awake to righteousness. I... We need to walk out of this place this morning realizing we are one heartbeat from being with the Lord. We are one heartbeat from the Lord returning and resurrecting us. And lost sinners around us are one heartbeat from a eternal hell. But folks, a consciousness of the resurrection, an awareness of, of what's going to happen to us sooner than later the Bible says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Do you ever notice how as you get older, time seems to fly? You tell a little kid, uh, well, later on we're going to go get some ice cream, you know, a five-year-old, six-year-old. A minute later, is it later on? Is it later on yet? They're, they're tugging on your, on, on your shirt sleeve, you know. Is it later on? Is it later? And you say, wait. And they have, an, they have the ability to wait 10 seconds. But as you get older, time seems to fly faster and you tend to get more patient. And the Bible calls God the ancient of days. And he says with him, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. You know what? When he's looking at us right now, he says, oh yeah, they're all going to be with me in a few minutes. You're going to be with them in a few minutes. You know, when I was young, that wasn't real to me. When I was young, I preached it because it was in the Bible. Now I preach it because it's in the Bible, and I've experienced it. How did I get to be 65? When I was young, that was the other people. 
that were that way. Right? I mean, God made certain people young and he made certain people old and that's just the way it was. And now I are one of them. <laughs> How did that happen? That's because life is as a vapor that appears for a while and then vanishes. And so an awareness of the resurrection will cause us to have more zeal in our witnessing effort. Verse 35, but he says, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Now Paul answers this very, very sternly and, and polemically. He says, thou fool. The very idea of questioning that God could do this. I had somebody tell me one time, oh, I don't believe in a resurrection. You got some people, uh, you know, uh, oh, I could see him pulling people out of a casket where all the bones are still there. But, you know, some people have been cremated and then, and then you know, thrown out of an airplane and, you know, like aerosol. And how's God, hey, folks, the, the God that could create this universe in six working days, including man, isn't going to have a hard time putting your body back together in a glorified form. And that's what this guy is saying. That's why Paul calls him a fool. He, he's, he's rejecting the supernatural in light of the natural. And he says, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, verse 37, thou sowest not that body that shall be but bare grain. Uh, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. So our bodies are like the seed. They are the seed that are going to come up and, and it's going to be something brand new and beyond that which the seed was. He says in verse 38, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him and to every seed his own body. Verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. What's he saying here? What's he saying is that Okay, God wants the fish to live in the water. He gives them a body suited for that. Now, you and I, you know, we can get in a scuba diving suit and get a tank and all that, and we can live for a little while under the water, but we are not suited to live under the water the way a fish is. Take that same fish out of the water, and most of us have caught a fish, brought it on the land, and what's it do? It lays there flopping around, it doesn't have the ability to be mobile. It has a difficult time breathing. It has, it has gills and not lungs. Why? Because God made it a kind of a flesh suited for an environment. Same with the bird. He's made to fly in the air. Uh, uh, the, the farmer came out and cut the back seven acres of our hay the other day, and all the hawks come out. And it was a windy day. And on a windy day, you can see them. They'll hover against the wind up there. And, and there was about six or seven of them. And what, what are they doing? They're looking for mice. And I hope they're looking for gophers. I would pay them whatever they want. I don't know what a hawk would want for catching a gopher. I, I, but I would do it. And I was watching those things flying and, and, and dipping and, and hovering in the wind and and thinking, what would that be like? What would that be like? And of course, you know, we've taken up flying ever since the Wright brothers and, and the airplane. And, and uh, some of the, uh, once in a while, uh, um, 
during the summer, we'll get one of these guys on one of these uh, motorized, it's a motorized hang glider, isn't that what that is? Motorized hang glider? It's got the, the sort of arced parachute on the top of it, but he's got that uh, snowmobile motor on the back of it, and he's, he's buzzing along with his legs hanging down. You ever seen those? Okay, I wasn't dreaming. All right, good. You scared me for a moment there. And so, and so I, I, I've watched that, and it looks like it would be fun. And then I watched a video of one taking off and one landing. I said, no, <laughs> I'm staying with planes. But, but, you know, we can fly, but we need help. I mean, we can't just stand there and start flapping our arms like a bird. So what did God do? He made, he made their flesh suitable for what? That environment. And so we are suited for this environment. And so what's Paul saying? God's going to give us a body suited for the next environment. Now think about that. We think of heaven as, as all the wonderful things it is. We, and, and seeing the Lord and seeing those in Christ that have gone on before us. And streets of gold and gates of pearl and, 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 and rainbow, you know, rainbow surrounded uh, covered throne and all those wonderful sights. But folks, we will be completely different. We will be, because folks, you're not going to go there in this body. I, I, I fly a fair bit, and you know, sometimes, especially when you get in a long flight and you're crossing like the Pacific Ocean and it's an all-night thing, and, and you're watching that little graph on the back of the seat in front of you, and they're showing you your altitude and the speed and the temperature outside. Oh, my. At 35, 40,000 feet, it's not a comfortable 70 degrees. Just at that altitude, if you got thrust out of the plane, never mind the fall, you'd be dead before that. You'd freeze. You wouldn't have enough oxygen. You'd die of fright. I know I would. You're not going to heaven in this body, folks. God revealed himself to Moses, and he said, Moses, you better hide here under this rock, and I'll let you see my backside. Because no man's going to look at me straight on with those two eyes and what? Live. God's going to give us new bodies. What's that going to be like? How amazing is that going to be? How many of you like to feel good? Okay. How many of you like to feel lousy? <laughs> I knew no hands would go up. You know what, folks? There are going to be no bad days up there. There are going to be no aching backs. There's going to be no sickness. There's going to be no blindness. Uh, there's, there's not going to be any of the infirmities that we know in this life with these bodies. And, and Paul goes on to say in verse 40, uh, there are also celestial bodies. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and that's, that's the resurrection body. That's a heavenly body. And bodies terrestrial, that's the bodies that we have here on terra firma. The terrestrial bodies, the earthly bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And boy, that is so true. Folks, the glory of the terrestrial body is so short-lived. It's so short-lived. Uh, I don't go to the gym any anymore. I mean, the COVID thing probably ended it for me, and we've got an elliptical machine at home and a stationary bike and that kind of thing. And so we, we just exercise at home. But, but I've been to the gym in, in recent years 
And, and I'm going there for care and maintenance, folks. Bodybuilding is out of the question. You know, they, these guys that lift these big uh, uh, free weights, and you, you hear them sometimes, it really, gets, it really gets loud. They start screaming and yelling and agonizing. And I'll stick my head in the room, and I'll see a guy there with, you know, this bar that's really too much for him, and there's a spotter on each side, and they're helping him, and he's, ah, you know, and they're, come on, come on, you can do it, man, you can do it. And I asked the guy one time, I said, what's he doing? And he said, he's muscle collapsing. I thought, well, that's what I must have been doing all these years, because <laughs> mine are all collapsed. I, and what's he doing? He's breaking down his muscles so then he can take his protein shake and it'll build it up bigger and all that stuff. And, you know, I've seen him standing there, you know, they're lifting and then they, and there's always this whole wall of mirrors. Okay, they're inviting vanity here, folks. And they're, you know, they're... And I walk by and, you know, at my age, I just think as I go by, I just think, worm food. <laughs> here. Your worm food. You just don't know it yet. And, and folks, the, the glory of these bodies compared to the glory of the body in the next life, oh my, my. Uh, look at verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Only God knows how many funerals I've preached. But at most funerals where there's an open casket, somebody always comes by and goes, oh, he looks so good. And I'm thinking, no. <laughs> now, I know what they're saying. I, I, I get it. But, folks, to me, they look so dead. They look dead. And the Bible says it's because it's sown in weakness. You know what that body is? It's the seed. It's the grain. But it is raised, verse 43, in power. Verse 45, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So, folks, mark it down. Look at it. It says spiritual what? Spiritual body. It is a body. You're not going to be a ghost. You're not going to be an entity. You're not going to be a vapor that just sort of blends in with the rest of the vapor and you don't even know who you are it is a body you will have but it'll be a spiritual one it'll be one that is suited to the next life to live where we're going to live in folks heaven is more real than this room today heaven is more real than this platform I know that platform is there. This is not a fake platform. I know that railing is there. That one's loose. This railing is here. I, I can feel it. This pulpit, this is real. No, stand up. This is real wood, okay? Um, okay, I, I know I'm... Heaven is more real than all of that. Okay? S slap that cement wall with your hand. You'll feel how hard it is, folks. We think of these things as being real. God says they're temporal. Bible says we look not on the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. They're more real. Because they're not going to go away like all this is going to go away. You know what I see in the mirror in the morning when I get up? 
I see evidence that this is going away. Okay? That's what the wrinkles are about. That's what the hair falling out is about. That's what I, um, I think Brother Gip is the one that said it. He said, when you get older, when you're sleeping at night, your body is trying to kill you. <laughs> that's because that's the way it feels, okay? When you're young, you just spring right out of bed. And when you're older, it's a process. It's a pro- and it can be a pretty long one. And you know what that means? That means we're getting a body that is suited to the environment we're going to. And folks, if heaven is what the Bible says it is, and, and, and there's no doubt that it is, we're getting some pretty magnificent bodies. You look at the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it could do. Uh, he had a glorified body. Uh, uh, take a look at uh, verse uh, 44. It is sown a natural body is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Verse 45, and so it is written. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that uh, was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is uh, spiritual. So your life began when you were born. It didn't begin up in heaven when you were, wait- when you were a spirit child waiting for a body. Because that would mean then what's first is the spiritual. But Paul says, no, what's first is the natural. This was your first life. There was no reincarnation. You were not a cabbage worm in a prior life. Now, I've met some people that I, it made me wonder. <laughs> but this, this was your first shot, the natural. And then, the, afterward, that which is spiritual... Uh, the first man is a, isn't that interesting how that verse is in there like that? Do you think maybe God anticipated some of the things that Joseph Smith would, would cook up in his fever, fevered brain? Um, verse 47, the first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man, watch how he says this, is the Lord from heaven. The second man, we're, we're going to be like Christ. You know, Christ said it on one day. He said, touch me not. I have not ascended to my father. Uh, Later on in the day, he said, they fell down. They worshiped him and they held his feet. It was okay. He had traveled there and back already. You're not going to need a car or a plane or a horse or a skateboard. He walked right through walls. He walked right through walls. Um, verse 48, as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. As is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. You say, preacher, why are you laboring this? Because Paul's laboring it. Because God's word is emphasizing it. We're supposed to set our affection on things that are above. This is one of those things, folks. You get some bad news from the doctor, read this chapter. Huh? You find out the new house, the dream house you bought or built, uh, you're next to the neighbor from hell. (laughs) Read this chapter. When your dream job turns into a nightmare, read this chapter. Because if you're saved here this morning, this is where you're going. And everything you're going through that could be put under the category of distress or affliction, 
is going to go away someday shortly. And he says in verse 50, he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ, uh, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Notice that word change, verse 51. Change, verse 52. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. You will retain your identity, but you will have a better body, a wonderful body, a spiritual body that's suited to be in the most wonderful place in the universe, in the presence of God, a place called heaven. In verse 54, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of taking hold of a hand and finding it's God's hand, of breathing new air and finding it celestial air, of feeling invigorated and finding it immortality, of passing from storm and tempest into an unbroken calm, of waking up and finding yourself home. And I want to tell you something right now. There's a lot about heaven I don't understand. But the Bible is very clear. It's our home. And you know what's true of home? It's a place we can be comfortable. I believe this. I believe the second we go to heaven, I think the second we're absent from the body and present with the Lord, we're going to go, <sighs> now, make no mistake about it, when we get done with that, we're going to go, <laughs> you know, we're going to be like I was the first time we, we saw the Grand Canyon. Remember that, honey? And I was an idiot. For years, she kept saying, oh, when I was a little girl, we went to the Grand Canyon and and, and I'd like to go see it again because I don't remember a lot of it. And I, you know, idiot, smart aleck. I mean, sometimes we guys, we're so stupid. Oh, I want to go take a vacation, just see a hole in the ground. <laughs> what an idiot. That's, that was my answer to her for about 10 years. Probably, all right, we'll go see the hole in the ground. We, got, we, were, on the, we were on the north rim. North rim. We didn't go to the south rim. We were on the north rim. And I remember just, I kept turning my head because I knew I was missing something over here when my head was over here. But when I looked up, I was missing something here. But when I looked down here, I was missing something over there. Do you ever see one of those dogs in the back of a pickup truck going down the interstate? And they're running from side to side, back and forth. That's what my brain was doing. Folks, when we get to heaven and you see the throne of God, read Revelation chapter 4, folks. What a scene. God sitting on his throne, sea of glass, thunder and lightning and fire and, and, and all these incredible colors with this rainbow and these beasts full of eyes within and without. What does that mean? Eyes within and without. Someone said, why do they got so many eyes? Because there's a lot of God to look at, amen? You want a lot of eyes when you're that close to God. I mean, folks... I think the first thing we'll do is take a big sigh and say, ah, I made it. I'm home. 
it's just going to feel right. And then we're just going to be amazed at what we see and what we experience. And, and folks, there's a lot of things in, in, in this old Adamic nature that I drag around with me along with the new nature that keeps me from worshiping God the way I'd want to and, and the way I should and the way he deserves to have me worship. Could you say amen with me on that one? But there's not going to be any such hindrances anymore. And I'll tell you something right now. Those four beasts and those four and 20 elders round about the throne, if you had the two best tickets to the Super Bowl this year, flying, never mind first class, the whole plane to yourself, and you had everything the world could afford you, and you say, look, we'll just trade that one day. I'll, I'll be up there with, and you just, they'd laugh at you. They, they, they've been up there since they were created, okay? Those, those beasts, they just say, they worship God. They go, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and which, uh, which is and which was and which is to come. And, and, and they just, they praise God over and over and over again. And God created them. And the minute they opened their eyes, they, their many eyes, they just started saying that. And God said, that's good. You guys can just keep that up. And, and they've been doing it for how, God knows how many millenniums and, and, and don't offer to trade them their position for anything. They wouldn't. Folks, when we get to heaven, uh, you, you wouldn't go, listen, those that have gone home to be with the Lord that you know, they wouldn't come back here for anything. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. What, what will it be like, folks? Um, verse 54, and we'll wrap this up. So when this uh, corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then it shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sing? O, o grave, where is thy victory? Folks, the resurrection. Death is done. Death committed ultimate suicide when it took on Jesus Christ for three days and three nights. And when Christ broke the bonds of death, he guaranteed our liberty as well. I was watching a video the other night about Jack Dempsey. He was just a name in boxing that I never knew much about, just sort of in antiquity. He fought in the early 1900s. His first big fight was in 1919. But he was a brutal fighter. Just an animal. And in his first fight, the way he got to be the heavyweight champion is he, he fought, he was about, he was, um, he was six foot, 190 pounds, or six one, 190 pounds. And the guy he, he, he toppled was 6'6", 240 something. And just, and in those days, they let you demolish the other guy. And that's how he fought his whole life. Rocky Marciano retired undefeated. Folks, the toughest guy in the world, the most confident man or woman in the world, the person that's got all their ducks in a row, if they don't have Jesus Christ, the one thing they fear, and don't let them tell you otherwise, is death. Because without Christ, death is undefeated. Father time is undefeated. And you know what Jesus Christ gave us in his resurrection? 
He gave us, he gave us the victory over death. Folks, when you got the victory over death, everything else, everything else, all your opponents, all your problems diminish from there. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Verse 55, oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look at verse 58, and I want you to think about something. In light of this one fact of the resurrection and our resurrection bodies, our glorification, Paul makes this statement about our lives, our work, and our purpose. You ready? Therefore, what's therefore about verses 1 through 57? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You ready for this? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your life is worth something for this reason and this reason alone. If you had nothing else in this world, if you didn't have a friend, if you didn't have a bank account, if you didn't have a home to go to, if you didn't have a car to get there with, if you have this, it makes your whole life worthwhile. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why? Because of the resurrection and our future glorified state. Oh, when will sin and sorrow cease and joy for pain be given? Where dwells the sunlight of a love, eternal as God's life above, a still small voice said heaven. O oh, hard I cried when thou hast died, and all thy joys be riven. What lies beyond the other side? The same sweet voice to mine replied, the home of Jesus, heaven. O oh, traveler on life's dusty road by sin and sorrow driven, say, what can bring thee peace and rest or cure the ache within thy breast? Like Jesus, home and heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. No one looking around. How many would say by the uplifted head signify, preacher, I know I'm saved, I know Christ. I, I know that what you're talking about here today applies to me because Christ is my personal savior because he rose, I will rise. Would you slip your hand up for just a moment, please? All right, that, that looked like most everybody. I couldn't see everybody, but... Uh, maybe there was someone here this morning and you can't honestly say that I, I know I'm saved but I am concerned and, and I want to get in on that and preacher I'd like you to pray for me I, I will do that I'll pray for you but I will say this uh, my praying for you can't get you there you got to make a decision you got to make a decision you got to make a decision to repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your savior Turn away from your sin. I didn't say clean up your life. Just turn from it to Christ. Turn away from it to Jesus. And receive him as your personal savior. So anybody here this morning that would say, Preacher, I'm not saved, but I would like you to pray for me. I am concerned. Would you slip your hand up just for a moment? I'd like to pray for you. Nobody else looking around. I won't single you out in any way, shape, or form or embarrass you. 
but I'd like to pray for you. Is there anybody? In just a moment, we'll give an invitation. We'll give you an opportunity to come forward, talk to somebody if you have any questions, have a word of prayer. We're here to, we're here to lead you to Jesus, not Treasure Valley Baptist Church. We're, we're here to help you become a Christian, not a church member, because that's not going to get you to heaven. If you're saved and you want to join the church, that's great. If you're saved and you want to get baptized, that's great. If you're saved and you want to dedicate your life to the Lord, that's great. If you're saved and want to just come and pray and thank the Lord for giving you the future that he's given you in Jesus Christ, you come and pray. But if you're not saved, you have a decision to make this morning. Maybe you're watching in live stream. Would you bow your head and heart right now and say to God, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've sinned against your law and I deserve eternal punishment for it. But I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the dead. And I believe what you said, that salvation is by grace through faith and not of myself. It is a gift of God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you Ask him right now to be your Savior. He'll do that. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open, I will come to him. And I will sup with him and he with me. God wants to save you. Christ wants to have fellowship with you, but he can't. Unless you allow him to be your personal Savior. The choice is yours. Please choose in favor of him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, in many ways, these things we talked about, once again, I feel we've come short of adequately describing them. In fact, I'm beginning to think after over 40 years of preaching and preaching on this again and again and again over the years, Lord, there probably isn't any way of adequately describing it all. But Father, because we were in the Word and your Spirit bears witness to the Word, we pray that you just take something in every one of our lives and launch us forward from this place as believers excited about the fact of our future resurrection and glorified bodies and eternity in your presence. And help us, Lord, to tell others. Help us to get excited and tell somebody about Jesus Christ this week. Bring somebody in our path. Give us the boldness, the courage, the love, and the concern to tell them about a great Savior. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 627. What a day that will be. 627, sing it like you mean it. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day. When my Jesus I shall see And I look upon his face The one who saved me by his grace When he takes me by the hand 
promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Amen. Brother Chris Rue, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? very emotional time. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Sure is good just to know you, Lord. And boy, just looking forward to the day that we finally get to just to see you and there's going to be no more goodbyes. And uh, Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for this preacher. And thank you, Lord, for the service this morning. Sure could have just enjoyed a couple more hours of it, Lord, just talking about you, talking about heaven. God, help us, Lord, to um, just to savor these moments that we have here on this side of eternity. And Lord, just thank you for the little foretaste that we have. Lord, it just, it's enough, God, it's enough to uh, help us to see what's waiting and to help us, Lord, to just um, roll up our sleeves and get to work for you. Thank you for the glimpses, the things that we need to encourage us along the way. God, give us souls for our labor. Give your people just a great time this afternoon with fellowship and rejoicing. Thank you, Lord, for the hope of heaven. Thank you, Lord, for your, the promise of your soon return. And Lord, I just pray that you help us to walk worthy of the calling that we have in Christ Jesus. And Lord, bring us back together tonight with your blessing and with your pleasure. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.